Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek's podcast. And this is podcast number 97. And joining me around our table in Studio C, our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello there. Writer, producer, two-willing reporter, Brian Robinson. What's up? And our writer, Patrick Lucas. Hey. Over the Edge reporter, Zach Mescal is also with us today. Hey, hi. How you doing? Very good, Zach. Nice to have you with us. Okay, we'll have our lightning round. We'll look at the mailbag. But first, we're going to go over uh, a trio of uh, segments we've had on Motor Week uh, lately. Two cars and a special one. That's why Zach's here. First, we're going to cover the Volvo V60. We're going to do the BMW M235i. And then we're going to talk about this national phenomenon known as cars and coffee. But let's start with the Volvo V60. If you believe all of Volvo's uh, press materials, it is the return of the sport wagon to their lineup. When in really, as far as wagons, they never really left. But V60, everyone around the table, you had a chance to drive it. Any impressions? Is it worthy of the Volvo sport wagon heritage? Absolutely. It definitely is. It's a beautiful car. I love it from the three-quarter rear and the profile. Front end looks a little long, but back to performance on the track, it, it's definitely all that. It's, it's surprising that there's that much performance in a car that otherwise looks a little... Uh, Sated? Uh, maybe like gentlemanly. Maybe. Gentlemanly. Right. <laughs> like a gentleman's sports car. But it, it definitely gets down there and throws it out. I mean, through the cones, everything is tight and fast. Huge improvement over the V40 it replaced. I mean, I get, you know, to me, it was like... There's no similarity at all. Oh, absolutely. And you know, we journo types always love the wagons, and we're always pushing for more wagons. But, you know, as nice as the V60 is, the bottom line comes down to, for what it costs, you can get like a dozen crossovers with more room, <laughs> just as good fuel economy. And, you know, obviously they don't have the legendary Volvo safety. But uh, Even the one we had um, when I was shooting interiors on it, it seems like uh, all the cool options that they're available with, this one didn't have any of them. And it, was still <laughs> it, was, it was amazingly bare bones for its price. But, I mean, that is sort of the conundrum for a Volvo buyer because, obviously, they also offer uh, a crossover in this same class. So it's like you walk in and you got the wagon or you got the crossover, both of them basically – I won't say the same vehicle, but they certainly can serve the same purpose. But the wagon, obviously, a little bit sportier, but is that enough to make a difference? Patrick? Uh, everyone seems to be raving about it. I wasn't struck that way. I liked mm-hmm. it a lot, but I, I didn't fall in love with it like uh, you guys seem to have. Um, <laughs> I, and, and would you like to expound well, yeah, on that? I would, I would like to expand on that. Um, I just didn't. I mean, I know that it is sporty, and I, I felt bits of that, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite think of it as a sport wagon um i thought of more as a comfortable you know daily driver car mm-hmm. to live with um i don't know how they do it but those front seats so comfortable oh uh, the uh, orthopedically what, designed front yeah, seats that Volvo's always famous for yeah. you, you wonder why nobody else has Swedish ever been able to magic. quite uh, match that i mean yeah i loved that um the controls were a little funky at first but you get used to them and they work and uh, they're pretty intuitive and pretty easy to understand so I thought to live with it, it would be a great car. I didn't quite see the sport wagon angle of it as much. 
I didn't either, honestly, until I put it through the cones and stuff like that. It was sort of a dual personality vehicle, yeah. I mean, when we look at other recent sport wagons, your mind instantly goes to, to BMW, and I think they have had a harder edge than than this one did. Zach, did you have any uh, comments on Are they on offered it? with a third pedal? I don't think so. I don't no, think they not are. In this country, no. not, yeah, not if here. they were, I think that would definitely entice me uh, a little bit more. But, I mean, definitely cool-looking car. A little bit lower, a little bit stiffer, smooth ride. Um, definitely enjoyed it. Good amount of low-end torque. Yeah, I mean, the, the wagon market's small here. Volvo pretended they were getting out of it completely, but the um, the XV70 uh, stuck around, so they really didn't. Uh, now they're back into it. They've got new owners. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see more wagons from them, but I'm, I'm glad to see they didn't abandon it. And there are a few people on this planet that still like station wagons because they're a little lower to the ground. Um, what did you think of – this is the first iteration of the new Drive E engines, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you guys were impressed with them. Yeah, it was decent. It wasn't anything you get excited about. Yeah, but. I'm, I didn't. I, you know, it didn't come as a revelation. I thought it was smoother than I ex- expected. Uh, but uh, all in all, I, and it was pretty economic. There's a lot of people, even people, you know, in our office drive E. What is it, electric? I mean, that's just kind of yeah. a weird tag name to have for which is basically just a turbo gas engine. I mean, yeah, but I think they, the platform now is that they can retrofit it later with. A, a hybrid system. Yeah, the, the the concept is that they'll be able to stick a variety. I mean, it's right. a new series of powertrains, right. and they're all highly efficient. Uh, I think they're all direct injected. Uh, but at the same time, they'll be able to turn around and make it a hybrid or probably even a pure EV without changing the chassis too much. So anyway, Volvo seems to be flourishing under its new ownership, and um, uh, the V60 is actually the, the first – new one i guess since the ownership took over um, uh, from ford that we've seen okay let's move to uh, something a little more conventional but not really and that's the um, bmw m235i uh, bmw changing its uh, numbering uh, nomenclature uh, the uh, even numbers now pertain to two doors or convertibles uh, the m235i reincarnation of the uh, one series What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it's perfect, but, I mean, it's what you think every BMW should be. I mean, it's tight, it's compact, actually has some steering feel, fun to drive. I really don't think of anything they could change that would make it better in my mind. Now, this is the the up-level version of it. And the M is kind of like not really an M. It's a tweener, yeah. It's like considered an M performance model. It's not a full-on M. Just um, you know, you get some of the power, some of the suspension, uh, but not, it's not a full-on M car. Now, I don't. Has anyone had any experience in the base model? No, Greg drove the base. He's not here. Yeah. But I think he liked it. Oh, yeah, he recall. definitely liked it. Yeah. You know, we said in our road test, uh, pretty much paraphrase what Brian just said, that this is probably one of the most perfect non-sports car sports cars that we've ever driven. I mean, it just did everything you wanted it to be. And it reminded you of what, frankly, what the 3 Series sedan used to be. So, um, Yeah, I had it for the weekend. It was, that was, a, that was a fun weekend. I explored pretty much every back road I could find in that thing. Um, now, Greg said that he drove the – we had the 8-speed automatic. Right. Uh, right. Greg said he drove the stick 6-speed um, manual on the event, and he said – that was even better. So I would have liked to have seen what that was like. But, uh, you know, this 
still is an awesome car. Sounds like a good reason to ask, uh, call up BMW and see if we can't get a manual, <laughs> see if they put one in their test fleet. Uh, so it's kind of a short review, Nobody but basically else? the uh, – anybody right. else? Do you have a chance to drive it? You're the BMW owner. To be honest with you, You're, I was – You are. Yeah, that's right. You are a BMW <laughs> Yeah, um, just a couple weeks prior to it, I drove a couple uh, E46 M3s, E36 M3s. I got in this thing. I was honestly dreading it. And by the time I was finished, I was grinning ear to ear. I want one. Uh, steering feel was great, you know, nice and quick. The brakes were awesome. I think they might even be M brakes, too. It had the M wheels on it. Uh, suspension felt good. And uh, I was able to kick it out a little bit, and it returned right where I wanted it to. Um, great sound, awesome transmission. The balance of the car was the single most impressive thing. I mean, once in a while you run across a car where every piece seems to match perfectly with everything else. And they're very rare, but this seems to be the one. Yeah, I think they finally got it with this formula of slapping M parts on it'd be, cars. It'd be nice if they would bring back the steering feel on, on the M235i to some of their other products, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. <laughs> Okay, uh, Zach, since we're on you, you um, firsthand experienced what is a, a phenomenon that is basically crossing the country like wildfire. And that's this whole cars and coffee routine where basically enthusiasts of all stripes get together and, I don't know, a field or a mall parking lot on early Saturday morning. Everybody just walks around and it's kind of like an impromptu car show. And by the time the stores open, the lots are empty. What was it like? You uh, you basically, your segment was really cool. Well, not only is it in our country, but it's going on all over the world. If you just check out YouTube videos, uh, it'll blow your mind to just see what some people bring out. But here locally, I mean, it blew my mind to see what's just hanging out in our, in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, McLaren brought up 12C, which everybody was trying to convince me was a P1, but I knew better. Um, Good for you. <laughs> dozens of NSXs. Uh, there are a whole bunch of Skylines, new and old. There must have been 30 plus. I mean, it's just awesome. If uh, it wasn't so early every Saturday, I'd be up and ready to go. But um, Now, the event in our area, which is outside of Baltimore, happens pretty much every weekend during spring and summer and early fall. But there are other events, like the one down at Amelia Island, that's once a year. And it's a little bit different in that maybe the uh, hardware is a little higher class. But I think the the idea is still the same, just come and enjoy. The idea is just that it's a uh, casual um, conversation, good people. You know, in Florida, it was a manicured fairway. Up here, it was just in a parking lot in front of a mall. But, uh, you know, everybody's totally willing to talk about their cars, let you sit in them. Um, I even saw a couple things I had never heard of. There was a British Ferret Scout. It was an armored hmm. car. It had the guns and everything. Um, the guy must have trailered in unless it was street legal. But uh, definitely an awesome event. Going on everywhere. Find one in your area. Let me pose this question to the rest of you. I don't know if you've all been to one, but you know, a lot of people a few years ago said the car culture was dead in this country. What do you th- is this... Refuting that, or is this the last gasp, or what? said that was out of their mind. I agree. It's never died. Unless, unless they're all coming for the coffee. Unless they own one of those <laughs> 80s jelly bean-colored <laughs> hot rods, and they're like, well, there's no other turquoise and jelly bean-colored hot rods around, and they must be dead. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it evolves just like everything else. I mean, we went through the import phase, and, you know, who knows where we're going now, but they're, they're always, anybody that has cars, cool cars, will always love to show them off. 
And there'll always be people that want to talk about their cars. And there'll always be car shows, whether you call them cars and coffee or whether it's just the Friday night down at the, you know, local ice cream place or whatever. I mean, there's always impromptu gatherings of cool cars. The uh, the folks that put on uh, the Hunt Valley event uh, uh, in Baltimore, they really uh, do deserve a, a lot of credit for basically being such diehards. And some weeks there's just thousands of vehicles and tens of thousands of people just soaking it up. Okay, let's move on now to our lightning round. And in this uh, is the place where all of us sitting around the table have two minutes to debate a trending automotive topic or just something that sticks in our craw. And when the time's up, they will hear this, which means hush and get on with it. Okay, here we go. With autonomous car technology ever increasing, how do we all feel about the idea of cars driving themselves? Is this a new form of transportation? Uh, should it replace drivers altogether? Is it complementing it? And just remember, uh, this week, uh, Google announced that not only are they moving forward with their tests, but they're actually going to build their own cars. Uh, they're going to build 100 of these uh, test cars with, that have no steering wheel, no pedals, or anything. And they look like a smart 4-2, but basically a, you know, an interior with a seat and a dashboard, and that's it. Coffin. So, and, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> some people could call that, too. So, Okay. We're enthusiasts. I can understand if we don't like this concept, but what do you think of the concept as far as the public at large? Yeah, I mean, the idea of it offends me uh, immensely. But the fact is, most people that are out there every morning can't drive, number one. <laughs> and then number two, aren't even paying attention to their act of driving. So yeah, I say bring it on. If you want to sit in the car and let it take you to work, you know, bring it on. <laughs> but get your own lane. Stay out of my lane. <laughs> get your own lane. Make it a, a a dedicated lane. Sure. Right. I mean, are you guys like that? Or are you like these active systems now where like the lane keep assist and all that kind well, of stuff? Well, it's all towards the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I'm saying, would you, you guys <clears throat> prefer that or just a car that does everything for itself? I, I prefer a car that does everything by itself. I mean, even though we're all against it because we love to drive cars, I mean, 50 years from now, nobody's going to be driving themselves. The car is going to be doing all the work. There's no way around. You can't uh -huh. escape technology. It's going to happen eventually. <laughs> we'll be telling, you know. Skynet. Early you know, youngsters when we're 80s and 90s, we'll be telling youngsters, yeah, we actually drove we the We actually drove the car. They're like, that's crazy. You know, even I guess it's the, the – every time I look at the autonomous car, I have this – you know, image of the Jetsons uh, because they were in there reading the newspaper and so <laughs> forth when they're zipping to work. I was on a, a radio program uh, here locally about six months ago, and I obviously didn't think much of the autonomous car aspect. And I got a deluge of calls from folks that have one form of disability or another, and they were pointing out how this could be a real boon for them. Obviously, if you mm -hmm. uh, say you have no sight, you know, this could be a, a ter terrific advantage and make you much more mobile and IE free than you normally are. So I can see definitely markets for it. Um, I see its acceptance being very difficult, if nothing else, because of liability. Uh, but when you look at the people behind it, and it's not just Google, it's Volvo and other major automakers. I guess you have to say it's probably going to happen. So, unfortunately, I guess we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Hang on to your steering wheel and your brake pedal and your gas pedal <laughs> as long as you can. 
<laughs> okay, questions. We have lots of questions that come in to our uh, staff, and this one is a very personal one, and it's actually one that basically uh, a lot of folks will be facing. Roberta writes us, she says, I'm about ready to retire in two years. Uh, if I have a chance to have one more car in my lifetime, a car that will last me through my retirement for 20 years or so, what do she? What do we suggest she buys? Now, she gives us some background. She says she's got a toy. She's got a 2003 Corvette. Uh, she has a utility truck, a Chevy Silverado, and she has a commuter car, which has been a 2010 Ford Flex. She's got 130,000 miles on it or 103,000. Uh, she wants to replace it in a couple years. Good for you to get that many miles out of it already. Okay. a I hate that term, a last car. But a last car for Roberta. What do you think she needs? She's got a truck. She's got a toy. What does she need? It doesn't sound like she needs anything, does it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would drive that Corvette every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> Why make it just a toy? Yeah. No, but... I guess you got to go with a Honda. If you if you don't need the room of the Flex, Honda Accord or Toyota Camry. I mean, they're both they're going to run for twenty years. You may need to change the oil like once. And, uh, <laughs> that thing will run forever. So. Well, yeah, you know, the Honda Accord was just rated again as the most stolen car in America, largely because they last forever. Yeah, and parts, people want yeah, the parts. People want the parts. Any other suggestions? Uh, um, Subaru, I don't know, Forester or something. If you still want that space of the Flex, a Forester, like an Outback, something. And like you've that. got the all-wheel drive to yeah, exactly. uh, to boost. And I mean, it's not it's not exciting or fun or anything like that, but you know it is what it is. If you need a car, that's I'm not sure you call happen. a Ford Flex fun. So. That's true. Yeah, I get a Mustang. That thing will be around in twenty years. So get rid of the Corvette and. Uh, consolidate. Keep, the, I, I, yeah, keep I, the flex and get rid of the Corvette. I have to and get, get to know Roberta a little better, to actually. <laughs> well, actually, that's not a bad idea. She keep the flex. Let me see why she. Uh, I don't know. She I mean, has a Corvette and truck. Like Roberta uh, wants to get away from her domestics, though. You guys recommended some good cars, but all right. Well, so domestically, yeah. I'll go, <laughs> I go with the Durango. Mustang's got a trunk. A Durango, and you can get the Durango pretty uh, beefed up. That's a solid choice. Yeah. Well, Roberta, I hope that helps a little bit. And actually, I, I hope this is not your last car. You sound like an enthusiast to us, and uh, we wish you uh, many more wheels to come. Okay, that brings to a close our Motor Week podcast number 97. I want to give my thanks to uh, Ben Davis, Brian Robinson, Patrick Lucas, and uh, Zach Maskell. My thanks also to audio engineer Jim Bigwood, podcast creator Bob Mixter, and Patrick Lucas, who did the podcast producing on this episode. And uh, please join us again for more podcasts. Make sure you catch Motor Week every week on your public television station as well as Velocity. I'm John Davis for all of us. Thanks for joining us on Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.